You're listening to the Christ Church Toronto podcast, a recording of the Sunday sermons from Christ Church Toronto. Christ Church Toronto is a new church in Toronto's East End that seeks to practice the ancient Christian faith today. We would love for you to join us in the future, but until then, please turn your attention to the scripture reading. We continue in Matthew's Gospel. Jesus put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while the men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, Did you not sow good seed in your field? How then do we have weeds? He said to them, an enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Then he left the crowds and went into the house and his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. This is the word of the Lord for our church, and it is given for our good. Amen. Thanks, Paul. At this time, let's pray and ask for God's help. 
before we reflect on this passage. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do ask now for your kindness. We've heard your word read with great clarity. And as we reflect on these parables, we ask that you would work in our lives in such a way that we would understand more clearly who Jesus is and what his work means for us. We'd understand more clearly what it means to be your people in a world like ours. Work powerfully through this, your word, and speak to those of us who come into this room full of anxiety or discouragement or disappointment. Those who come into this room and know that they don't believe or are unsure what they believe, would you use this, your word, to work powerfully in our midst? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Um, if I say the words uh, newbie gains, I don't know if anyone knows what this means. Newbie gains. You guys are all staring at me. Funny. I don't see anyone's eyes lighting up. But newbie gains are something you hear when you're around the gym for a while. Those who are new to weightlifting and strength training, they, they increase their muscle mass rapidly. Their bodies change very quickly at the very beginning while they're newbies. And uh, when this happens, so for the first sort of, say, six months in which they begin to exercise, they progress uh, un in an unbelievably quick way. And it's, there, there's a reward cycle that builds up that's incredible. And yet, uh, anyone who sees somebody in this phase of exercising, who's been around the block for a while, frequently comes to them and warns them that it won't always be this way, you know? At some point, these gains will start to plateau off, and they will be much harder earned, and they'll be much slower and much more frustrating. Now, why do I share that? Because uh, I want our church to minister better to the gym bros. Maybe. Maybe that's part of it. Amanda's always good for a laugh for the last six years. Um, they need Jesus too. But I share it because if anyone knows what I'm talking about, or maybe you don't, but this can be an incredibly discouraging and frustrating experience. And if you don't understand what it's going to look like to see your body sort of get in better shape, to be in more fit, more healthy amount of muscle mass, if you don't understand that this sort of trajectory you're on will, will come to a point where it feels like you're plateauing off and you will get frustrated, when that plateau comes, you'll assume something is going wrong. And what always happens is people do a handful of the same things. They either give up and say, I'm done exercising, this is a waste of time. Or they push themselves so incredibly hard because they want the same results they had the six months that they hurt themselves, which then causes them to become you know, a person who's in recovery and is losing muscle mass again. You've got to have some kind of roadmap, especially of expectations of future disappointments if you're going to progress in anything in life. This is just basic leadership. This is just what it means to uh, lead people well, whether it be in business or in life. You need, you need to know something of what the future is going to look like from somebody who has insight if we are going to thrive and if we are going to move forward. Again, we're in Matthew's Gospel. Matthew is trying to record to us a story of Jesus, sort of a biography of Jesus, but with an edge to understand something of his work, and specifically the ways in which he identifies as a king, a king in, over the whole entire world. And in this particular section, Jesus is trying to help us understand what it's going to look like when his kingdom administration starts to roll out. You know, what is it going to feel like as it moves into this world? He's already made clear that his kingdom will be the place where all the pains of this world, all the, the consequences of a world under a curse, slowly begin to be undone, where the power of sin is defeated, and where all those, those marks, those scars that we bear on our bodies 
because of the, the impact of sin, these things start to be healed and reconciled because of the work of Jesus. Uh, Jesus is coming in such a way and bringing in a kingdom where our relationship with our Creator is restored and reconciled. And he wants us to understand what it's going to feel like when this kingdom starts to roll in and come through. Last week we said it's going to feel like a battle. It's going to feel like a battle. Just warfare is something of what it's going to feel like. Not the type with, with guns and, and ammunition and artillery, but, but a battle of deep listening and understanding. Something deep inside of you will be raging as this kingdom unfolds. And in this passage, Jesus begins to tell stories about what it's going to feel like as the kingdom now starts to advance and to grow. What is it going to feel like? And Jesus wants his disciples to know that they have expectations about what his kingdom should look like, expectations which they might not even be aware of, and he wants to correct those, and he wants to do the same for you and for me. We have expectations. We say, if Jesus is real, if he really is this king who's come to make all things right and to fix all that's messed up, to heal all those scars, his kingdom will have to look like this. And in our minds, we have answers to that questions, and these unstated expectations will bring disappointment. And so what I want to look at this morning is I want to ask this question. How will Jesus' kingdom administration roll out? How will it grow? And predictably, I want to look at three answers to that question. So how will Jesus, how is Jesus saying his kingdom will grow? How will his kingdom grow, okay? And the first thing I want to look at is this. He gives us three parables, but I want to point out that Jesus is saying the way his kingdom is going to grow is it's going to start almost inconsequential, almost inconsequential start. Where do we see this? Well, think of this first par uh, parable. There's a man who sows a, a field full of seed. And then what happens after the seed has been sown on the field? What happens? Well, if you're closely looking at the passage, his workers go to sleep. Now, why do they go to sleep? Are they sleeping on the job? No, because <laughs> this is going to be a long process. It's going to be a while before this field comes time for harvest. There's a period of time where the workers are sleeping. It, the growth of the kingdom won't be immediate. And at first, it will appear like nothing is happening. That's why they sleep. Second parable, the kingdom is like a mustard seed, the, the, the tiniest of all known seeds, at least at this time. You know, it's this little bitty, it's a small, small seed that you throw in the air, and if I threw it in the air on the floor, there's no way anyone, even with the best of eyes, could find it. A seed that, that throw, is thrown into the air and absolutely disappears, sort of millimeter seed, gone. Third parable, it's compared to leaven. Not like packets of yeast as we have, but just a little bit of leaven, sort of inside of a small clump of dough. The passage actually gives us some details. It says there's leaven mixed into three measures of flour, Three measures of flour were almost like three huge bags of flour, roughly 50 pounds of flour. And the parable is such that just the smallest amount of leaven left into 50 pounds of dough will turn into an absolute mountain of bread making dough in no time, enough bread to feed over 100 people. How will the kingdom grow? Well, Jesus wants us first to understand there's not going to be newbie gains. It's going to come with an almost inconsequential start. Now, why does Jesus need to teach us this? Because he knows that his disciples have expectations, and he knows that we have expectations. If someone comes into our world and says, I'm fixing everything, I'm, I'm going to bring salvation into this world, I'm going to restore a right relationship with, between the creature and the creator, I'm going to undo all the marks and consequences of, sin, of human rebellion, we have expectations that it's going to start big. It's going to be a huge ordeal. There will be massive fanfare, fireworks. Everyone will be talking about it, front page news. And this is an expectation the disciples have, and it's no different than us. Not that long ago, 
not that long ago, the media was in a battle over the size of Donald Trump's inauguration speech, remember? We still care about fanfare. <laughs> we say if this is a big deal, there has to be a big crowd. We, you could call it childish, you could call it petty, but it's the same with, with a IPO, a new business offering. We want fanfare, we want front page of the news, we want everyone to know about it, and when that happens, we say, therefore, this must be good. This must be true. This must be real, because a big crowd is there. We want some measure of immediacy, and Jesus is saying, when his kingdom rolls out, the way it's going to grow is it first is going to appear almost inconsequential. Many of us are like a child who uh, takes a watermelon seed and hear from our parents that if you plant that seed in the ground and water it all summer, you'll have a watermelon. And like a child, we, we, we want to plant that seed, and the next day we want to set our alarm and get up at 6 a.m. and dig up the seed to go find our watermelon to see how it's doing, you know? This is going to take patience, and at first it's going to look like nothing is happening. And Jesus wants us to understand and have proper expectations that this is how his kingdom is going to roll out. Jesus is saying this. He's saying, my work in your life, it's going to be absolutely powerful, but it might feel at the beginning almost inconsequential. It might feel like just a, a subtle shift in your mindset, and, and that is going to be the way the kingdom breaks in and starts to grow. It's going to sound so incredibly small, so incredibly, uh, you know, sort of fragile. You're going to hear the work of God. You're going to hear about what Jesus has done for you, that he's died for your sins, and you're going to say, this sounds like a true story. I, I believe this. I want what Jesus offers. You're going to say, I trust. I follow Jesus. You're going to say, and you're going to receive the Spirit, and yet you have to understand something radical is going on inside of you, and everything about you is changing, and at the same time, it's going to feel incredibly small incredibly tiny, at least by the standards, is going to be like a mustard seed. You're going to look back at your life and say, that, that just, is this really what's happening? It seems so tiny. And this is good news, very good news to some of you, some of you who I've spoken with this week, who have this problem. You wonder, do I believe good enough? Am I truly a Christian? Does it, am I actually following these things? Because it just doesn't seem... It doesn't seem that significant. It doesn't seem like it's upending my life. I'm frustrated by how small it is. Listen, our God is not, he does not despise small beginnings. He really doesn't. I mean, think about it. He could have created the world and all the majesty and all the glory that it will be one day. But he chose to, to make it and he called it good while it was laden with potential, needing to be cultivated. A world where seeds have to grow to trees. This is what our God is like. He does not despise small beginnings. He actually quite delights not only the destination, it seems, but also the journey. This is our God. And he wants you to know that as his kingdom breaks into your life, you're going to want to feel the fireworks. You're going to want to feel like you are a completely new person. And in some senses, you will. But in other senses, it's going to feel incredibly small, like a mustard seed almost inconsequential. That's what it's going to feel like as the kingdom breaks into our city and as the kingdom breaks into our life. So how will the kingdom grow? We'll start almost inconsequential, but it'll begin working right away. It may be working that way right now in your life. But second, how is the kingdom going to grow? We could say this passage is teaching us that the kingdom is going to grow up or it will increase with frustration. Now, where do we see this? Well, we see this most clearly in the first parable because what happens? The sower sows the seed, the, the owner sows the seed, and as his hired hands go to bed after a long day's work, something happens, his enemy comes along. 
And his enemy has a bag of seed himself, and the enemy throws this bag of seed all around the field, and now all of a sudden the field has weeds and wheat growing up side by side. And how do the servants experience, what, as they see the weeds and wheat growing up side by side, what do the servants feel? How do they feel? Well, they're clearly frustrated. They say, Master, should we go uproot all the weeds? It's going to be a terribly difficult project, but should we go uproot all the weeds? And what does the master say? He says, not yet. Not yet. The master's wise, at least as it relates to this parable, what he's saying is that this is no way to grow wheat. If you uproot the weeds, you'll disturb the wheat roots, and we might get no crop at all. So you're going to have to let them grow at the same time, because their roots are attaching underground. And what is Jesus saying to you and to me? He's saying the way his kingdom is going to increase is it will be growing, and it will be increasing, but it's going to feel incredibly frustrating, because we, like these servants, are going to want the weeds uprooted. You know, Jesus' parable is interesting because not just what it says, but what it doesn't say. You can't help but ask yourself, who is this enemy, you know? And, you know, it's one thing to not like somebody, but it's quite another thing to go sow weeds into their field. You know, there's, there's a handful of people I don't like in my life. Um, maybe if they were obsessed with their lawn, I would fantasize about throwing weeds into their lawn mix, you know, watching dandelions grow if they were, like, obsessed with their lawn. Maybe. But what has happened that this enemy is so great? And I think this is in part why in this particular passage you heard read at the end, Jesus actually gives us a very clear explanation with what's going on in the parable. He explains each detail as it plays out, and he says that the enemy is Satan, this angel that was created to be a servant of God, who joined with a small pocket of other angels, or a a pocket of other angels, maybe not small, to rebel against God and to destroy the works of God. Now, it's this is a pretty incredibly important sort of aside that you must reflect on, that if you're going to understand historic Christianity, if you're going to understand the Christian faith as it has been passed along for the past 2,000 years, you must understand that there is a real and personal evil behind much of what you experience in this world. There's an enemy who's sowing bad seeds, which are evil people who start to find themselves doing evil things. And this, in our world, is, is tough to believe. You know, if I did a general survey, I'm pretty sure the vast majority of of Torontonians would say, you know, there's probably a heaven and I'm probably going to it. Um, But if I asked them, is there a real and personal evil, the vast majority would probably say, no, you know, I don't think there is some kind of evil force. There's just a collection of bad people. You know, if you were to ask people, they'd probably say something along the lines of, in our world, the reason evil happens is because of ignorance, um, because of lack of education, or maybe it's people craving power. You know, this is, this is why evil exists in our world. But I'm telling you, those explanations are just incredibly thin, and, and they just don't hold water. This is the weekend where we remember the Truth and Reconciliation Com- Commission, you know, a time where we, we read some unbelievable evil and we think, you know, I imagine some of the people behind some of these things may have been good people around the table. They may have been admirable grandfathers or admirable aunts and uncles. And yet something happened when they came together, and it seems as though the sum is so much more evil, you know, the, the, the total is so much more evil than the parts would, would lead you to believe. Incredible evil. The Christian message says that there is a real enemy, and it's bigger than just lack of education, and it's bigger than just individuals craving power. There's someone sort of orchestrating plans behind the scenes to do incredible harm and damage to this world that God has created. And even as Jesus' kingdom is rolling out, Jesus is warning us that it is going to be frustrating because weeds and wheat are going to grow up side by side. And this is why as Christians, we ought not fear things like the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. We're all for truth. 
We want these things to be abundantly clear in our world. Wherever Christianity has participated in great evil, as much as it grieves me to read these stories, we don't bury them. We don't pretend like they're not true. We acknowledge them to be true, and we figure out what reconciliation looks like. What does it look like to make good on this? And we find ourselves reading these things and being frustrated, absolutely frustrated. You know, something has happened in our world where Christianity went from just being irrelevant and kind of backwards and something of a killjoy religion to, to now being portrayed, at least publicly in our city, as something that is bad for our city and maybe bad for the world. And I can't be the only one who sees this and gets frustrated. So this is so frustrating. And, and, and they, there's especially citing the evils that the church has done, and I can't help but say, yes, I've read these Boston Globe reports. I've, I've read these stories of the abuse scandals that are going on in the church. They're horrible. I, I have no way to explain them away as, as though they're no big deal. All I can say is this. I find them frustrating too. Jesus is telling us that as his kingdom rolls out, he has seen fit not to pull the wheat and the weeds at the same time. They're going to grow up side by side. And so if you're a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're part of this weed of his field, he's saying it is absolutely going to be a frustrating experience. His kingdom will be increasing, but you will find yourself exhausted and frustrating. Two armies are fighting, and there will be no clear battle line. The armies will be interspersed amongst one another. You'll look to your left and to your right, and you won't realize one's your enemy. One is a weed, one is wheat. That is, that is exactly what it's going to feel like, and it's going to be so frustrating. But Jesus says, listen, on the last day, I'll take care of it. Now, I know a lot of you don't have much experience, you know, gathering wheat. There's probably one person in this room who owns a combine, but that's another story. But Jesus said, realizes this, that the way in which the, these weeds and these wheat are growing up is that their root system is going to become so interconnected that as you try to uproot the weeds, you're going to destroy the wheat, and so the type of, of way that they would then harvest this grain is they're going to bundle them all together at the top. And they're going to have to chop, them, chop off both the weed and the wheats at the bottom in this bundle. And then from this bundle, they'll have to separate good and bad, good and bad. But the root system, it's too late. It's, too, it's buried too deep. Jesus is saying, that's what his angels will do at the last day. But until then, my kingdom is going to increase, and it's going to increase with frustration. You have to understand that. You have to understand that. If you're here and you're not a believer, we, I am telling you, Christians are, are absolutely aghast, frustrated, mortified by the evils we read as well. And we're not scared to acknowledge them as real evils. And we're not scared to commit to do better, and yet at the same time, we know, we know full and well. We know full and well there's going to be other evils that our kids look back on at us and say, what in the world? Because it's a real personal evil. And when this kingdom is going to increase, it's going to increase with frustration. I think I've made my point. How will the kingdom grow? It'll feel almost inconsequential and it will increase with frustration. Thirdly, though, how would this kingdom grow? I just want to lastly look at the way it's going to grow with unstoppable force. Because this seems to be the point of all the parables, right? The first one, Jesus says he will get his wheat harvest. He will. It'll come into the barn in his proper time, and he'll get enough of wheat that he needs for food for his family and to survive. And the little mustard seed, though it's the smallest of all seeds, it's going to grow to be the biggest sort of plant in the garden. So big that People will be able to find shelter inside of it. Just this little seed, it, it's an unstoppable force. It will grow. And so it is with the leaven. You know, it, it doesn't matter uh, what, how much dough is there. Just one little speck of, le of leaven, one little speck of yeast will start to activate and will eventually work through all the dough. It's an unstoppable force. And Jesus is saying, so it is with my kingdom. 
Sure, it's going to seem inconsequential. Sure, it's going to increase with frustration, but it's going to grow with unstoppable force. This you can know. And this shouldn't surprise us. Do the prophets not say in Isaiah and Habakkuk that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea? Does Paul not say to the church in, in, Philippian, in Philippi, every knee one day will bow, every tongue one day will confess that Jesus is Lord? The kingdom increase is inevitable. It's unstoppable. It will touch everything. That, it's, it's like a mustard seed. It's like a little bit of yeast. It's like a little bit of leaven. It's going to, per, it's going to permeate everything. Nothing will stop it. I included some of this quote in the front of your bulletin from Rodney Stark, who's incredible. The time of the disciples, they have to believe this by faith. They think maybe there's 20, maybe 50 people who really believe in Jesus in his kingdom. Now it's something that we not only believe by faith, we can know with some measure of confidence is going to be true. Listen to this. We live in a time where Christianity feels like it's falling apart. You know, we live in the era of the great de-churching after COVID, but listen to some of these statistics. Stark writes that for the first 1,400 years, or it took 1,400 years for 1% of the world's population to become a Christian. Then it took another 360 years to double that to 2% of the world's population. Another 170 years saw the growth of Christianity from 2% of the world's population to 4%. But between 1960 and 1990, 4% went to 8%. And by 2007, one-third of the world's population would identify as Christians. Now, I don't share that quote to sort of tout some kind of triumphalism. There may be very hard days ahead, and those numbers might be declining in the next 20 years, 50 years, for all I know. But what I do share them to say to you is this. This kingdom is going to roll out, and it is going to be unstoppable. And this should be an incredible promise to you. It should be an incredible promise to you as you try to live out your faith in Toronto, and it should be an incredible promise to you as you try to figure out what it looks like to follow Christ in your life. Because listen, you might feel right now you might feel that following Jesus, saying you're part of this kingdom, you're one of his citizens, uh, citizens of his kingdom, that his work has done it very little in your life. You might feel like this gospel, this Jesus has made a tiny impact on me. My faith is so fragile and so small. I feel so little hope. I, I don't feel love. Addictive sins continue to flare up, you know? That bitterness that I just can't deal with. It, it, just, it just stays there and I just can't let it go. My need for attention causes me to do such horrible and heinous things. And you might feel like this kingdom is not working for you. It is not working in your life. You must lay hold of this promise that the increase is inevitable. Though the seed might feel small and inconsequential, it will permeate every part of your body, all of you, who you are as a human being. The work of Jesus Christ will do that. This is going to be true. What feels like a small mustard seed in your life will be the largest tree at the garden. I hope you understand this. This should be incredibly encouraging. Do not let Satan discourage you. But it also should be incredibly challenging for a church like ours here on our sixth anniversary to take incredible action. If success is inevitable and unstoppable, why are we so scared of failure? If we know what the end result is going to look like, why is it so hard to take risks for the kingdom? Why are we quiet about our faith? Why do we publicly act so incredibly neutral you know, why are we scared to be generous for fear that we might get burned by our generosity? This kingdom will roll out, and it will be an unstoppable force. Nothing can stop it. The leaven will go through all the dough. The seed will become a large tree. Nothing will stop it. Christ has promised, and he'll bring what he started to completion. This is our hope. It should help us walk with confidence. 
So in conclusion, what could we learn? Well, these parables are set up that we could learn a lot from these parables, but we could learn at the very least the way the kingdom is going to roll in is it's going to feel almost inconsequential in the start. It's going to increase with frustration, but it will roll into our world with unstoppable force, and it will win. And this shouldn't surprise us, because this gospel that we assemble together to celebrate every Sunday morning is that our God saw fit to send his son to take on human flesh, to be born of the Virgin Mary, right? To be born in a town that was in the middle of nowhere, a place of, uh, that lacked consequences. Here is how God will unite himself with humanity and bring salvation. And not long after the angels announced the good news that salvation was come to this world, Herod, the great king, quote-unquote, of that day, announces that every male son must die. Frustration. The good news always arrives in a world with frustration, and yet the life of Jesus rolls on with unstoppable force. And even when he's executed, even when it seems like the end was certain, when all of his disciples seem to have abandoned him, God raises him from the dead. And through defeat, we find that the greatest victory known in this kingdom is found. This is how the kingdom comes into our world. It seems almost inconsequential. It's frustrating even as you read the story, but it moves on with unstoppable force. So it will be in our world. King Jesus has given to you and to me and to everyone listening this season of amnesty, a season where unfortunately wheat and weeds are growing up beside one another. But the scriptures make clear our God takes no delight in the destruction of the wicked. And so he extends an invitation, amnesty is yours, if you only just turn from your rebellion, trust his ways, delight in his teaching, and take confidence that he indeed died for you, and he is a great king now reigning for you. Trust this king. I assure you, his victory is inevitable. Let's pray. Our Father, we give you thanks that you've sent your son into this world to bring a kingdom, and it's not like the way we would like a kingdom to roll out. And yet in your kindness, you don't force any of us into submission by brute power. It's your gentleness and kindness that leads us to repentance. And you've now extended a period as your kingdom grows where more people can be brought in. And so for those who've never heard of this good news of your son coming to this earth, dying on this cross, and being resurrected to be this great king over our world, now reigning and ruling through the hearts of his people, we pray even today more would be brought into that kingdom even if it just feels like a mustard seed coming inside. Work powerfully, even through our church. Sustain us in our seasons of frustration. And give to us great hope and confidence of the inevitability and success of your kingdom. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Christ Church Toronto podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at christchurchtoronto.ca or email us at info at christchurchtoronto.ca.